Psalm 32. The title of the message is Worship, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Worship, Don't Worry, Be Happy. We're continuing our series on worship. Psalm 32, verses 7 through 11. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way in which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not, verse 9, be as the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle, to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Verse 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all of you who are upright in heart. Lord, help as we study. Two things I'd like to talk to you about. One, what it means to be insulated by God. And two, what it means to be instructed by David. Now, David wrote this psalm, and he wrote it with a progression in mind. The first six verses talk about how blessed is the man who has received forgiveness from God, that his sins are blotted out, his life is no longer what it used to be, that though his whiteboard used to be filled with every transgression he'd ever done, God took his eraser and made it all go away. Amazing is that man who receives forgiveness like that. He is blessed. He is blessed. And then he talks about the other things that God has done. And in verse 7 he says, my God has covered me. So not only has he forgiven us for our sin, but he's covered us. And the sense of covering is a sense of protection. That from the from the wiles of the enemy, his schemes to try to destroy your life, and just the general direction in which the world is going, God has put a bubble of grace around your life. Those of you who are going through difficulty might say, well, I don't feel near as protected as I'd like to be. Now, you know, I'd, 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 I'd like to have a greater testimony of God's protection in my life, Pastor, if you don't mind. Well, be careful. Because if you, if you tend toward that kind of response when you hear about God's protection, then you may be manifesting that you have developed some spiritual amnesia. You've forgotten all the stuff that God has protected you from. See, there was, there was a bus that was supposed to hit you yesterday, and it didn't. There was a disease that was supposed to come on you yesterday, and it didn't. There's judgment as a result of everything that you have done wrong, and we have all done enough wrong to deserve the kind of judgment that is so intense that it makes anybody cry out to God, even the atheist. We deserve that because we have messed up royally. Our lives were not compliant with his will. We were doing what we wanted, not what he wanted. We were going the wrong way intentionally, and when he tried to call us back, we said, get out of my life. We may have not said it verbally, but we said it with our actions. We wanted to do what we wanted to do. We did not want God to begin to construct boundaries around us that would hold us accountable. We wanted the freedom that brought us bondage rather than the boundaries that brought us freedom. And as a result, we deserved death. The wages of sin is death. We deserved to, to no longer be breathing. And I can safely assume that you did not get that. 
you're here. My point is that if you begin to think somehow God has been neglectful or maybe hasn't blessed you like you think you need to be blessed, breathing is not a bad option. That's not a bad blessing. You haven't been judged for your sins. And even the consequences that you have endured as a result of doing wrong, the recipe that God gives you in order to go through them is mixed with mercy because you don't die. And though God is just, and he will not deny his justice, he is equally in equal parts merciful. And he has decided by standard, standard operating procedure to lead with his mercy, not with his judgment. So the Lord is so gracious to you every day. Every day. But we like impetulant two-year-olds are mad when we don't get the candy bar when we come through the giant checkout aisle. And forget everything that mama and daddy have done for us all week long. Provided food on the table, clothes on our back. A house to live in, a bed to sleep in, and we are mad. I can't, you don't love me because I didn't get my Kit Kat. <laughs> and you don't rationalize with a two year old, nor does God rationalize with you. He doesn't. When you have that kind of attitude, He's not going to sit there and try to say, wait a minute now, wait a minute now, wait a minute now. He's going to let you go on your tantrum until you come to the end of yourself. And all of a sudden, the light bulbs start coming on in your head when a little black man starts preaching to you on a Sunday morning. You say, oh, my goodness, Lord, what have I done? And then your circumstances haven't changed, but your demeanor has. Your posture toward God, Lord, I'm sorry. You have covered me. You covered my life, and you covered all my sins. I am blown away. Forgive me for my myopia for only looking at the present and forgetting everything you've always done. Thank you. Thank you. David said, you've covered me. Secondly, you delivered me from peril or trouble. You've kept me from harm, he says. Preserved me. And the preposition there is really important. He didn't say preserve me in. He said preserve me from. We get... Everybody... Everybody knows how to get religious when they're in difficult times. They know how to call on God when they're in it. Lord, if you will, if you'll save me from this, oh God, I tell you, I, I'm going I'm to go, go to church and, 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 and I'm going to read my Bible and I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray. If you'll do this, I promise you I'll do that. And we, we start talking to them. And we, we don't do it in a religious way. You know, it's not like, oh, God of heaven. <laughs> maker of the heavens and the earth. I petition thee, O Lord. No, no, no. It's just visceral. It's down from the inside. But simply because you cry out to him when you're in trouble is no indication of your spirituality. We really know who you are when things are great. Do you worship then? Do you get on your knees and thank him when there aren't any difficulties? Do you, do you honor him because of who he is, not because of what, he's, of what he's given you or what he's done? Do you just want to serve him, serve him because you love him, not because you get something out of it? And by the way, 
When you make those bargains with God about what you're going to do if he does something for you, remember, anytime you're bargaining with somebody, there has to be some benefit to the other party. So like when you say, God, I, I'll do this if you do, what does God get out of that? You want me to negotiate with you on the basis of that which is going to benefit you. What do I, what do, you want me to bless you and bargain with you and say, I'll make a deal when I, if you go to church, what does he get out of it? If you read your Bible, what does he get out of it? If you do all those things, what does, what's the benefit to him? It's all for you. So we are so stupid. We're so stupid. We think we're really doing something for God by making these bargains. He's like, okay. Boy, that shows you how dense we are spiritually. Yet we think we are really sensitive and really in tune. We are as far away from God without him drawing us as you could possibly be. You keep me from, not just in. And so David here is talking about the stuff that I... I would have done that I didn't do because you inspired me not to do it. There was an opportunity for me to go the wrong way and I chose not to. Thank you. Because if I had gone that way, I would have experienced consequences. And I don't even know what they are because I didn't. Oh, you kept me from trouble. Thank you, oh God. That time when David was running from Saul and, 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 and Saul was trying to kill him and Saul was the present king David was the anointed king Saul didn't want David around because it would take his throne and the inheritance that was supposed to be for Saul's son Jonathan and so Saul looked at David as a competitor somebody that needed to be removed so he sent the FBI, the CIA the Navy SEALs, Rangers, everybody out to get David David was running for his life though David had done nothing to deserve this nothing, he had only blessed Saul's kingdom and he wound up in a cave hiding from Saul Saul comes into that cave to relieve himself. David's right-hand man says, ooh, you see what just happened? Mm -mm -mm. The Lord has delivered your enemy into your hands. Take him out now. In war, when your enemy is there, you can kill him and you experience no judgment with God. It's war. And there's a lot to say about if you don't, then what's wrong with you because that person lives again to, to kill your loved ones? So in war, it's legal. This would not have been murder. David was, would have been right to do so, but he would have been wrong. And so he says, I, I can't touch the Lord's anointed. I can't do it. He's God's graced man. I can't do that. The only one who can take him out is God, not me. And if I take him out, justifying my actions by saying we are in a time of war and he is out to get me, though I have not made him my enemy, I happen to be his, then I might be right, but I'm wrong because then I, I gain too much from it. I not only take out a threat from my life, but I acquire the throne. And now I have proven to God that I don't trust him for him to give it to me, but I must take it. And so I choose to trust my God. See, David did some stuff that nobody else would do. Lord, you kept me from harm because if, if I can take the throne from somebody else, then somebody else can take it from me. But if you give it to me, nobody can take it. David was amazing. That's what he was saying. You kept me from stupidity. 
And where do you think Jesus got it? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us what? Not, Not into where? Jesus, yes, he coined the phrase for us to get it. An outline of prayer that we're supposed to input our entire life to fill in the blanks. But he coined it from reading his Old Testament. David prayed that and said, thank you for taking me away from stupid decisions would have led me the wrong way. Thank you. Jabez, the prayer of Jabez, same kind of thing. Lord, bless me. Enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me. And, and keep me from harm that it may not pain me. Now, some interpreters have said that he was looking for an easy life. No, no. When you ask God to enlarge your territory, you're saying, give me more to manage. That's all you're asking for. More issues, more problems, more stuff you got to deal with. This was not a selfish man. And we can see by the fact that God answered his prayer. It says, and the Lord answered his prayer. God doesn't answer selfish prayers. So that the fact we see that God answered the prayer helps us understand that it was more biblical than it was oriented toward his own well-being and more right in its orientation. So when we look at deliver me from harm, that it may not pain me, it doesn't have anything to do with his comfort. He's not asking for an easy life. He's saying, deliver me from the stuff that would hurt me so that later on I won't experience the pain of my poor decision. That's what he's asking for. Deliver me from evil. All of us, have li- most of us, have lived long enough to have done some really big, stupid stuff. Nobody ever amens on that point. I'm, I, I don't know. You know those moments where we sit on our bed, we're, we're alone with our thoughts, and, and we realize, and this, this thing comes up that, God, forgive me. Now, you don't move into condemnation. You're not trying to beat yourself and over something you did, but you, you just still feel remorse because you know it hurt you and it hurt other people. And if you had known what you know now then, you have those moments. Why? Because it still pains you. It still hurts. And there are consequences that you have had to navigate through because of that stupid decision you did, made, and the actions thereof. There are many in my life. This prayer says, God, deliver me. And you have. (laughs) Abigail happened to be a future wife of David. She was married to a man named Nabal. Wasn't a very nice guy. David was guarding his sheep during the day when Saul was still king. And David was trying to figure out how to get provision. And he was guarding the sheep during the time that David guarded the sheep. No lion, no bear, no wolf, no marauder came and got one. All of his sheep bore their sheep well, meaning had, had, had ewes. Excuse me, had lambs, ewes had lambs, and the sheep were cared for. Not one was lost. David came to Nabal and said, we've cared for your sheep. We've done you a solid. How about doing us a solid? Can we have some provision, please? Nabal said, no, I don't think so. He said, there are many, many servants leaving their masters these days. What makes you any different than the rest of those knuckleheads? Get on about your way. David heard him. David said to his men, I, I, I think I'm going to kill him. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to kill him. That's what to do. Nabal's wife, Abigail, hears about what happened. 
She goes to Costco and buys as much stuff as she possibly can. In bulk. In bulk. Loads of camels and donkeys and takes it to, to, to David. And David said, what's this? He said, oh, my Lord, you're, you're, you're amazing. And, and my, my idiot husband wouldn't do this. That's Brett's paraphrase. My idiot husband wouldn't do this. But thank you, please. And don't, don't let him begin to change you because someday you're going to be on the throne and you don't want this on your head. Don't kill him. David looked at Abigail and said, you're better than me. You saved me from a great peril today. God, you have saved me from. You saved me from. I thank you. I thank you for saving me from. Thirdly, he says, you've surrounded me with songs of deliverance. Surround sound deliverance. Now, it's not just songs here, although songs are inclusive. The, 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 the reason we sing the way we sing, and this is really, this sermon is, is kind of a, a segue to what we're going to study next, which is why we do what we do on a Sunday morning. This is much more about the tenor of your life and, and the attitude you need to have and how you need to respond to God as a result of his goodness. Surround sound with respect to songs of deliverance. The word song in Hebrew actually is, is also translated equally cry. You surrounded me with cries of deliverance. So indeed, songs help us and that we can remember them by, by memorizing them and then singing them and allowing those to be the, the meditative moments that, that sow into our soul what God wants to do. And it's beautiful. But those aren't the only things that should remind us. Here we have kind of the same kind of an environment that a team would have when, a, when a, a crowd is around cheering them on to victory. And a coach is out there on the sidelines yelling at his team about what they need to do. You have surrounded me with people who inspire me to victory. They are crying and hoping for my victory. Now, not so much in the NFL, but, but very much so in the NBA and at the college level. People who have chosen to be professional coaches make it for a living after they've done it about 30 or 40 years every one of them has a little rasp in their voice every one of them and if, if you listen carefully you'll hear it and the reason is they have to yell for two hours not just in practice but every game and yell above the entire 18,000 people who are yelling for their players to be heard about what the next play ought to be. Now, they have sign signals, but you'll see those coaches on the sideline in the NBA just, they're doing all kinds of stuff. And, ha, 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 trying to surround their team with the order necessary that will help them become victorious. And every time you come to church, we are surrounding you with cries of deliverance. With exhortations that allow you to know that when you walk out, Pastor Brett is still in your ear. The songs that Tiffany and Rob sang are still in your ear. You are being surrounded with good wisdom that allows you to make the best decision so you can be delivered from that which would come upon you. David said, you surrounded me with men who can speak into my life like Nathan and Abiathar and at times Joab and others. You've helped me. 
to become better as a result of the people around me who are telling me what to do. And the Christian life is not intended to be lived in solitaire. You need people around you who can help you. They can remind you of who you're supposed to be and what you're not supposed to do. That mediocrity ought not be a part of your future. That greatness is. And the only way a great talent can become great is if he has a coach that helps him to get there. You don't ever hear about the coaches except the famous ones. But they got position coaches. Over there at the Redskins, they got about 18 coaches. They got coaches for coaches. I'm not kidding. And everybody has somebody who says, let's go through this play. Let's go. Through. This is what you do in this coverage. This is what you do when you have, you have to audible in your route running. If the safety comes down here, you have to run this direction. That's all taught. Talent helps, but scheme aids in a way that talent just can't cover. Cries of deliverance all week long. This is what will deliver you from that situation there. All week long. 50, 60 hours of cries of deliverance for three hours worth of work. David said, this is how I got here. I've had people in my life. I've had my God cover me. And he saved me from stupid decisions. He's forgiven me of all my sin, verses 1 through 6. Wow, let me tell you now how you ought to respond. He gives direction. He gives instruction. He says, listen to me. I will instruct you in the way that you should go. I will guide you with my eye, which means I am being very intentional about my instruction, and I'm not just giving it to you as I'm passing by. I am focusing on on you so that you will get my complete and undivided input. Listen to what I'm saying here. Don't miss this, David says. This isn't God speaking here. This is David. Listen to my counsel and instruction. First of all, do not be like the horse and the mule which have no sense, no understanding, but must be guided by the bit and the bridle to get where they need to be. Otherwise, they will not come to you. Now, if you came to church today because somebody drug you, it's better than not being here. It's great. Glad for you. But that should not be the motivation. As a result of you being forgiven for your sin, covered, saved from stupid decisions, and had the the privilege of having others around you to help you to be right, this is how you ought to respond, Lord. All I want to do is show up. What time's church? 8.45? I'll be, 11.30? I'll be there at 11.15. I can't wait. I cannot wait because I, I want to worship. Lord, I'm setting my alarm at 5.30 even though I need to get up at 6 so I can worship you. I want to read what you have to say to me today. I want to spend time with you, oh God, because you have delivered me. You've helped me. Don't be like the horse. Don't be forced to worship. And don't just, not, don't just not be forced to worship by somebody bringing you. Don't be forced just by circumstance to do the right thing. Meaning it's gotten really difficult, so now you know how to pray. Pray when it's not difficult. Love him because of who he is. Secondly, he says not only do you need, not need to be led by horse and bridle, but, 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 but you need to be glad. Glad. There ought to be something... It ought to be just a demeanor on your life whereby the corners of your mouth just kind of turn up for no reason. No circumstantial reason. You just are happy because you, 
you, you haven't developed spiritual amnesia and you're not waiting for the next thing in order for God to prove how much he cares about you. You are grateful for everything he has already done. Be glad. And let that gladness flow over into rejoicing. He says, be glad and rejoice, you who are upright of heart. Be glad and rejoice. Now, rejoicing is different than gladness, though they're connected because there's no way you can rejoice unless you're glad. But you can be glad without rejoicing. Rejoicing is this, the expression of how glad you are. I was at the game last week. Yeah. We, we, we were down 24 nothing in the first quarter. Mm-hmm. And, and we won. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, now, that's a good thing. I'm talking about Redskins now. That's a good thing. But, but, but you, have, you have no... It's, it, I mean, people were shouting at the TV wherever you were. At the radio, you were shouting. You were hollering and screaming. But at the stadium, there were 70,000. Some of the folk left after the first quarter. But there were 70,000 left who were going out of their minds. Out of their minds. Jumping up and down. <laughs> Rejoicing. Over. They didn't do anything. <laughs> they don't know these guys. They don't know them. They are, they are allowing a team that has no connection to them relationally. Other than they happen to represent a city in which they live. You talk about distant They are allowing that team to control their emotional life. And they are paying for it. (laughs) But they're happy. Nobody's walking out saying, I paid $500 to get my family here. It wasn't worth it. Everybody was saying, yes, I was there. And I'm looking around at some of the people I know in the stands. You know, some of them, you know, they, they, they come to church. They weren't at church that Sunday, but they come to church. They come to, and, 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 and I'm, I'm watching them. And they, when we're in here, they're, they're, they're respectful, but not very animated. And so when, when the song says, I lift my hands to thee, they kind of. mad at you. I'm not mad at you. But there's an incongruity. Why did the Redskins bring that out of you when God won't? I mean, hands went up. I looked at them and said, they work. Look at that. I see you. I see you. See you on Sunday. They work. How about that? They go straight up, just whoop. You didn't have to think about it. I don't know what rejoicing looks like to you, but you need to do it. And and, and make sure you do it. That's not an excuse for you to act crazy on Sunday morning. There is order in everything. But there are moments where you need to express how grateful you are for what God has done. And then lastly, he says, shout. Now, I went to a Presbyterian seminary, 
And I had conversations with my professor about this term shout. I said, so how do you all in the Presbyterian world work this word? We believe that in the Hebrew, ultimate language in the Hebrew, you can actually shout from the heart without it coming out of your mouth. Okay, so, like, help me, when the Israelites went around Jericho, it was like a... Is that, is, is that, is that what... Yes! Down, it was down here? It was down here. No, that was a shout. That, that came out of... So I said, if there's a way that the Hebrew allows you to do both, encourages you to do both, why not do both rather than one? So something might happen in your office this week that makes you want to shout, please don't let it come out of your mouth. I beg you, don't let it come out of your mouth. That's the last thing that anybody in your employ needs to hear. Ah! No, don't do that. Shout on the inside. But when you get home, when you get home, you let God know how grateful you are for what he's done for you. He's given you phenomenal victory.